and I was looking around for a brick to pick up to throw at it in case it turned on me and when I picked up the brick I looked around and it walked right down and away into the night. Seeing is believing and I have no proof of what I saw that day other than what I can describe. It was huge. It was like the weightlifter of cats. Welcome to Big Cat Conversations. We speak directly to people who've encountered one of Britain's big cats. We also discuss the bigger picture. I'm Rick Minter and thanks for joining me. Welcome to episode 49 of Big Cat Conversations. We are going to focus on Cornwall for this episode. In particular, we're discussing the area around the Fowl Estuary. Our guest is Andy from near Falmouth, and he's got a good network of contacts in the area. He's had three sightings himself, and he knows of other reports, so we've got plenty to chat about. Andy, hi there, and thanks for coming on the show. Hi, Rick. My pleasure. Thank you, Andy. Have I described the area correctly? Do you call it the Fowl Estuary area? Yeah, we're in the Falmouth area. It's more towards Penryn. I actually grew up in a little village not too far from here called Myler Bridge, and there's quite a history of sightings around there over the years. I've been aware of big cats, although I was never really convinced. It just seems a bit fantastical when you've not actually seen one yourself. And when you do actually see them... Your world actually changes, you know, especially when you're out in the wilds a lot. Your sort of views and um, the way you actually look at the countryside does change. That's for sure. Look forward to getting your personal take on that a bit later. You've had three, and I know we're going to talk about a couple of the other ones of friends and contacts of yours as well. But should we do them in historical order, starting with the very first one, but when you didn't know uh, that they existed? Yeah, take us through the first one if you could. At the time, uh, it was probably, what, 10, 11 years ago now, and um, I'm a very keen angler, and I was living over at Myler at the time, and I used to cycle in the evenings to this particular water. It was quite wild. It used to be a fishery years and years ago, but it had been closed down. I used to sort of sneak in in the evenings on dusk on my bike with sort of bare minimum gear and um, have a sneaky fish, usually to the early hours, and then cycle back to mile it was about three miles or so on the country roads this particular evening i turned up a beautiful day very very still not a cloud in the sky it was just coming into dusk the way i'd come in is over a five bar gate and along this track not really used much by anyone i sort of climbed over the gate with my bike and i'd pushed up this little incline and then this track levels off i was just pushing the bikes i had a big rucksack on it was quite quiet that time in the evening. The first thing I noticed was just a strange noise. It was like a crunch noise. And I couldn't quite put my finger on it. Kept sort of walking along the track. And I could hear this noise. And that's when I sort of looked down to my left. And from the track, the bank banks away down to a path that runs around this water. And that's when I could see it. And it was probably 20 yards from me. And it was in this long grass. I couldn't see the whole animal at all. I could just see the head and I literally just froze. I could not believe what I was seeing. If I had that sort of encounter now, I'd get the camera straight out. But with a massive rucksack on my bike, I just froze. I thought, what the hell am I meant to do with this? <laughs> so just looked at it. It didn't even register me at all. If it did know I was there, it didn't pay me any attention whatsoever. My priority then was this thing could be dangerous. I really should make a hasty sort of exit. And I thought, well, you don't really want to run. And there was another five-bar gate, probably about another 30 yards in front of me. So it wouldn't have got me very far anyway. So I literally just very quietly sorted off. (laughs) and thought, wow, that was absolutely amazing. And I sort of kept it to myself for a little while. I do fish up there occasionally with a friend as well. We were up there one evening and it, it sort of came out and I, I told him and he was a little bit sceptical, but he knows I'm not fantastical or, you know, come up with stories. You know, I'm quite a straight talking guy, really. You've been described by a previous guest on this podcast as a sensible fellow, haven't you? <laughs> yeah, my, my brother found that quite amusing, actually, when I told him. <laughs> Obviously, it was an amazing thing to witness, but it was quite a short sighting, really. And, you know, you think, wow, they really do exist. 
Can you describe it? What do you think it was and what were the key characteristics of it? It was large, very large. It was black. That sort of typical roundish head that you get with the cat and the rounded ears. Other than that, I, I didn't sort of hang around too long to get a detailed description of it. I was pretty sure with what I was looking at. It, it certainly wasn't, it was no tabby. <laughs> it was a very large animal. I mean, I, I think, I mean, there were a lot of rabbits around there back then, which is kind of one of the strange things around here um, at the moment. Around this this area where I fished, it used to be full of rabbits and you barely see a rabbit. And, and we come on to the fields where I've had another sighting later. And again, you don't see any rabbits over there at all. Yeah. And Cornwall's full of rabbits. So, um, What kind of distance was it? Probably 20 yards. I was very close. If that, uh, you know, probably less than 20. What kind of emotions at that time? I would say fear. <laughs> it's like a, like a primeval fear almost. You, know, you kind of freeze and all the hair stand up on the back of your neck. You know, you never expect to, to especially there. I mean, it's, I wouldn't call it in the wild, you know. I mean, that around the lake is quite wild. And back then, the footpath wasn't actually used that much. A few people used it, but it wasn't that wild, widely known as a place to walk. I was quite shocked, really, though. And it's walking distance from your house, isn't it? Yeah. From where I live now, um, I could walk there in 10 minutes. I actually did get permission to fish it, proper permission in the end. Okay a fantastic thing to witness and you know i never thought you know i'd ever have anything like that again but um only what probably two or three weeks later uh, i'd got up the usual route in more careful than usual sort of looking around but um didn't see anything on the way in at all and i sort of gone and done my evenings fishing because i was meant to be there i was always very very careful to be as quiet as possible and you know i'd even set up in the dark sometimes with no light this particular evening, I'd probably fished, I think, probably about one or two o'clock in the morning. It was quite a hot summer that year. Um, the water in the reservoir dropped. So I was down uh, where there was usually water. It's kind of a sandy area. So I packed everything up, tied my rods to my top tube of my bike and got my bag on, pushed my bike back onto the path. And only then did I turn my light on. And there it was in front of me on the path, probably again, no more than 20 yards away. This is not on the track. This is the actual, like, the footpath that runs around the reservoir. So I'm looking directly at it. It's just these big eyes staring back at me. Again, I froze. It absolutely froze. And again, you're like, what the hell do I do? Mm. It seemed like an age. It was probably only sort of 20, 30 seconds. And I just went, ah, just made a noise. And at that point, it must have just turned and it jumped. It couldn't jump to its left because it would have gone straight into the reservoir. To my left and the cat's right, there's a swampy area, sort of 20 feet across. And it must have gone across that in a single leap because it literally just turned and it was gone. And that's when you really got an idea of the size of it. It was bulldozing through the undergrowth up this bank, up to the track where, of course, I had to go to get out. <laughs> so again you're like what the hell do i do the only other way i could have gone was either the way the cat had come from the track it had just gone on to actually leads back round to that so that, that didn't seem like too good an idea the way back behind me was into a wooded area and i thought that would have been a bit foolhardy so i had to grit my teeth i go up the little footpath climb up the bank up to the track at the top this is where it actually gets a little bit humorous because it was another clear night and it was a full moon so when i got up to the top sort of gingerly coming out through the undergrowth and thought i heard something behind me so i quickly turned and looked and that's when the moon cast my shadow and i literally jumped at my own shadow uh. and shouted <laughs> <laughs> and that just shows you how on edge i mean people do say you know with various signs why didn't you get a photograph but it's not like spotting a deer. You're not in wonder. There's like a primitive sort of emotion, a primitive fear that sort of strikes you. You know, you instinctively just freeze. And, you know, the last thing on your mind is, oh, well, I'll get a nice picture of that. It's a lot more difficult when you do actually see them yourself. And at low light, you wouldn't have got much of a picture anyway, presumably. I mean, a bike light as well. It's not like, you know, a full power head torch or something so yeah to me i mean i, I know i had the previous sighting 
there are plenty of animals you can see in the dark, but it, to me, it was pretty obvious what it was. You know, the, the height of it, you know, probably about two and a half feet off the ground, the eyes, large eyes. Um, at the time, I didn't really notice the colour of the eyes. I mm-hmm. just think, you know, the close proximity and everything. And obviously, I've, I've, I've heard since about the eye shine so I, i'm not sure if that would be a bit of a distorted memory so i'd be lying if i definitely said they were green it wasn't a, a detail that stood out it's just they were big eyes you know they, they weren't too close together i mean i'm out in the wilds all the time i mean i've seen plenty of deer and foxes and badgers and oh i've had foxes actually come really close to me in the past because we'd be out fishing camouflage clothing and stuff we do look a bit sad um, <laughs> in all our camo stuff. Quite often, foxes will get really close to you. And you can see they, they can't see you. They can smell you. Nine times out of ten, they go back the exact way they've came from. Certainly don't jump a swamp. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Do you think it was the same one, Andy? I would have thought so. It's the end of its sort of area down here. It couldn't really go any further without coming more into a built-up area. So. Yeah. I would have thought that was the same cat. It was just in that area at that time. A big black one again. I would have said it was black again at night with not the brightest of lights. It stood out as being black to me. It certainly wasn't a light colour. When it uh, leapt away, did you get a view of the tail or the hindquarters at all? I didn't. It was just gone in a flash. It literally just turned and it was more the eyes are there. You sort of get a vision of them turning and it was just gone. Mm. And you, I didn't see it go over i didn't even hear it land i just heard it bulldozering up right through the undergrowth i didn't really tell too many people again you know because sort of 10 11 years ago it was nowhere near as in the press as it is nowadays it was still quite rare to get sightings in the media even back then uh, at that point was this pretty new to you as a subject let alone as an experience at that time i'd known about the big cats in the area previously there was one really good one and it was in a local press a farmer in the miler area he was out on his quad bike and it apparently came up and ran alongside him just for a few seconds and then sort of just went off again and it's funny because um in the most recent missing panther which i listened to the australian podcast um they had some motocrossers on there and they had something similar happen to them so whether that's something they do when they're inquisitive about things i don't know it does seem weird behavior doesn't it and we had um in the kintyre episode we had a puma report which i had to read out because we couldn't get a line to the lady where it ran alongside a car i've i checked that out with some of my other contacts and a couple of them have had the same actually so that behavior i think it is that they are curious and sussing things out and they can go parallel for a bit and um, decide what, what they're going to do about it, what they're observing. So It was really after that that you would start to hear people sort of talk about it a little bit more. And at, at the time, in the few years after, I actually worked in the butchers in the village. I was there for about seven and a half years. And um, one of my regular customers, um, lady, she sadly passed now, but she used to walk her dog around the top of the village She'd be up there sort of two, three o'clock in the morning, you know, and she'd have a big torch. And um, up on the top of the village there, the top of the hill, there's um, a little wooded area. And she said she'd quite often see it up there. She'd just see the eyes. It'd be watching her and she'd get so close to it and then it would just disappear. She was with the dog and did the dog react? Um, She never mentioned it. She never mentioned that. Um, But she'd always have it on the lead. At the time, you kind of take it with a pinch of salt. You know, you think, well, maybe they're being a, a bit eccentric or whatever. But they were the earliest sightings around here I'd heard of. Yeah. Once you see it, you realise they are real. You certainly aren't so foolhardy <laughs> wandering around the countryside. Even now, sort of 10 years on, I still think twice about going through the woods up there at night. Just because you, you wouldn't want to surprise it. If you surprised one or accidentally cornered one, you know, I wouldn't really want to be in that situation. Yeah. What do you think it was doing, by the way? Do you think it was just foraging for rabbits or do you, are there deer there? Or do, was it even going to the waterside to fish? I mean, we have heard people claim that and um, observe that. I think it was probably feeding on the rabbits. I mean, it was obviously the first sighting. It was obviously eating something because, you know, for me to hear it, I think that's quite strange in itself. I always thought they sort of licked the flesh off but i suppose with the smaller animals they would use the kind of seal teeth to sort of crunch through 
to shear, yeah. Incidentally, as a fisherman, do you feel that an individual one might get the knack of checking at the water's edge and fishing? Yeah, I forget which podcast it was, but they used to see, they had sightings every sort of May. And being a carp angler as I am, I know that the majority of carp in this country tend to spawn round about the May time. And when they're spawning, they throw caution to the wind. They are literally flapping around with their backs out the waters in the shallows. I mean, they'd be easy prey for a cat. I'm sure they'd quickly learn to take advantage of that. It'd be such an easy food source for them. Yeah, and they get used to that part of the season in their territory, sussing out those places for that opportunity at that time of year. Yeah, I would have thought so. Interesting. Okay, thank you. Yeah. yeah. But, I mean, there's certainly plenty of deer around here as well. I mean, I, I virtually see deer here every day now from my flat, which we'll come to in a bit. Do you want to go to some of the other sightings next or your own final sighting before we do the other ones? Actually, as a follow-on from the first two, my friend Rick and I, we would still fish there together. I stopped fishing there by myself then. It shook me up a bit. I didn't want to uh, take any sort of foolhardy risk, but we had occasionally fished there. And on a couple of occasions, and this is before we got permission to fish it, we'd be there on a quiet evening, pitch black. There was no light or anything. And we could hear something snaking through the undergrowth, very quiet, but you could hear something we actually thought it was maybe a bailiff or, or something, you know, we were going to get caught. We'd, we'd <laughs> sort of crouch down. We'd sort of be looking at each other. Oh, God, you know, we're going to we're gonna get thrown off here. On every occasion, it would get so close. And I mean, pretty close. We actually thought we were going to get caught. And then it would just stop dead. At the time, we never really put two and two together. And it's only since, you know, in these years since, and we've spoken about it. And he said, I wonder if that was that cat. A sort of shiver goes down your spine a little bit because it could have very well just been sat there watching us or sort of jumped up a tree and been sat there watching us, you know, because we use a lot of fish meal based baits. They actually stink to high heaven. So it would definitely got the scent of those baits. Wow. Yeah. So um, it could very well drawn it in. Again, thinking back to the second encounter, that could have been what had drawn it along the path towards me. And of course, I'm, I'm deadly quiet. You know, you wouldn't know I was there. Would that stuff be useful as lure in front of trail cameras? It could very well be. A lot of guys who make bait for a living, it's quite big business making. They call them boilies. One of the ways they used to test them was to uh, leave them in the house and see if the, the cat or the dog, and they say if the, if the cat and the dog like the bait, then the, the fish actually go mad for them. So that, that was one of the early tests that they used to do. And if the cat turned its nose up at the bait, then they're like, oh, God, oh, get back to the drawing board. Yeah. What did you call it again? What's it, what's it called? They're called boilies. Okay. Maybe that's our word of the week if you can't come up with something from the Cornish language. But how do you spell that? Uh, as it sounds, really, B-O-I-L-I-E-S. Okay. What's it come from? Why is it called that? There's lots of different things you make them from, but usually fish meals or, or ground up bird foods, another one. They've used semolina in them. Basically, what they want is a high protein content. The idea is that the bait has all of the good things the fish like, and they eat them and find them and keep eating them, and it makes them feel good. You know, it's a good food source, yeah. and they keep coming back for more. So, um, yeah, so they want a high nutritional value. It's quite a competitive market, and it's very, very big business in the angling industry nowadays. With a potent, fishy, meaty smell, that is going to be interesting for a cat. Quite often use like anchovies, stuff like salmon, uh, tuna meal, lots of liquids as well. These are a lot of stinky, fishy liquids for a cat. They must be able to smell that a mile away. Maybe try it with your cameras that you'll put up and we'll see how you go. Yeah, I should give that a go. I have actually got some in the fridge. So Yeah. And what's more scary, do you think, getting caught by a bailiff or being confronted by a black panther? <laughs> I definitely the Black Panther. Yeah, well, I got on with all the bailiffs back then, so I would have probably got away with it. But <laughs> don't think I've ever had a report from a water bailiff, which is surprising, but there's still time. I mean, angling is quite a male-dominated sport, or it has traditionally been. You know what men can be like. They, they wouldn't sort of admit to anything that would perhaps draw ridicule to them. I mean, I have one other angler tell me he had a sighting up at the other reservoir, which is further up the valley. He was fishing up by the dam 
very first thing in the morning, that absolute crack of dawn. And he, he sort of in his bed chair, because we, we have all the comforts uh, when we go fishing at night. And he, he sort of just let there, he just opened his eyes and he just watched it come down the opposite bank, sort it down this grassy area, have a drink, and then go back to where it came from. He never really told anyone because, you know, just fear of ridicule. It was only really when I mentioned it to him. He said it was black as well. Well, of course, they would come down to the waterside and uh, drink. And any fishermen, please get in touch and we'll do a future show with you. Well, I'm also a member of uh, an angling club um, a little bit further up the county, more in the St. Austell area. I've heard sort of third hand of quite a few sightings up that way. I'll certainly keep my ear to the ground and perhaps mention it when it's appropriate and, and see if I can't come up with something. Yeah, and also the times when fishermen are out, dawn and dusk and night time, and they're going to have a chance at those times and being quiet. Uh, it all ticks the boxes, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely. So what are we going to do? Your latest sighting or one of the others you've heard of? I've got a little list here, actually, of a, a few, just a couple of really, really good ones that I've, I've heard about since my sighting. It sort of reignited my um, sort of interest and my passion for it. I've did a couple of posts on Facebook just asking if anyone's seen any unusual animals and if anyone would like to private message me. And I've had four or five people message me back and had a few phone conversations. And I've actually had one, another sighting in the last uh, three weeks, only about another half a mile up, up the valley, which is for me really exciting because it means that animal is actually still in the area. Yeah. Yeah, I thought maybe it long gone. It was actually back in January. Yeah, it was from your kitchen window, wasn't it? You saw it out in the fields in January. I mean, I'd I'd always wanted to get a a, a bit more of a clear sighting whenever I'm out and about. I mean, I don't drive, so um, whenever I'm getting lifts about in the countryside with angling friends or if if we're leaving the county and up on the A30, going up over Bodmin Moor, I've always got my eyes scanning the fields and the moorland. You know, I thought perhaps that would be somewhere I'd maybe get a glimpse of one again. And mm-hmm. I, I never actually think I'd see one from my front room. <laughs> it was a Sunday afternoon, quarter past 12. So right in the middle of the day, beautiful day, clear as you like. I'm on the side of the valley that I described earlier where the houses are. I've got a beautiful view down. I can see Penryn River snaking away and um, see Falmouth off in the distance. And um, during lockdown, obviously it'd been a lot quieter. There's been quite a lot of deer sneaking out of the scrubland onto the fields opposite. So I always sort of glance over there, hoping to see the deer. And um, this particular day, I glanced over and I just noticed a black shape in the field. I think to most people, it probably wouldn't even seem unusual. But with my history of having two sightings, it sort of piqued my interest. And also because these fields aren't worked, you know, they're not worked for arable. They don't have uh, any livestock on. They're generally fenced off. They don't have people on them. You don't get dog walkers over there. I sort of stood up and sort of looked over. And it's it's a bit of a distance, but um, I was aware that my landlady has a pair of binoculars because I'd used them to look at the deer earlier in the year. Ran round to her front door, knocked on the door and said, oh, I could borrow your binoculars. She went, yeah, of course you can. And I, said, I think I've seen something a bit unusual. And I didn't say anything more then. Ran back round to the back of the house and got these binoculars out took me a second just to focus them by which time the animal got up it was sat when i first saw it It was just sort of sat in a little bit of scrub and it was actually walking down the field you could clearly see what it was jet black from here the sheer length of it that's the thing when you see them like that they're just so long with the tail absolutely amazing i quickly knocked on the back door for my landlady then I said, have a look at this. And I explained. And she took her a second, by which time the cat, it got to the bottom of the field. And there's, again, there's a bit more dime bracken type scrub. And it just skirted along the edge of that. I sort of looked at her and I said, so what do you think that is? And she said, that's a bloody big cat. <laughs> and she had no previous knowledge of it whatsoever. At which point the cat sort of sorted behind some trees. And so I lost sight of it. Now I could be there over in those fields in probably less than 10 minutes and um, actually i got my bike out you really want to go rushing into a field with a big cat so i I got my phone phoned my brother i'd obviously told him about the sightings he was busy doing some mechanical work on the car so he couldn't get here and i phoned my best mate who i do a lot of fishing with and he was down penzance way working 
in the end, I didn't go over. It would have been fantastic to maybe have an opportunity to get a photo, but you just never know how a wild animal is going to react. And besides, it's private land, you know, don't want to go gallivanting around on other people's land. So I just went to Astor and did a shop, which felt really surreal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you'd shared the experience. Gosh, what a lucky so-and-so she was to have somebody actually with binoculars show her uh, a big cat and be introduced to the subject like that. Yeah, I, I don't think she could believe her eyes. I've actually since shared your podcast with her. She's quite a busy mum, so I'm not sure she'll have time to look into it. But everyone else has got the time to put into those sort of things. I think, oh, wow, that's, that's an amazing thing. Right. Let's get on. I've got a cup of tea now, sort of thing. I agree. We're all really into it, I guess, most of us, but um, not everybody can be or, or will be, even if they had time. So, yeah, keep your feet on the ground, I think, is an important thing, isn't it? But well done. And yeah. you were telling me it's frustrating because you'd like to try and look for permission for cameras there, but it's privately owned and it's got a planning application, so they're going to be extra sensitive about anybody wanting to hold them up or have agendas for that land, aren't they? Yeah, well, I, I did find out who the developer was for the area and I left a phone message with them and obviously not mentioning big cats, but asking if I could perhaps have permission to put cameras to be catch up some wildlife. But of course, it's a touchy subject for developers. They don't really want to encourage anyone that's going to perhaps cause them a problem. So yeah, uh, it was no surprise not to hear back from them, if I'm being honest. But um, I, I don't think that's that's kind of the end of it, though, because just the, the topography of, of the valley there could be a couple of real pinch points. I mean, maybe at night it would cross that busy road, but I think knowing how Stafford they are, they, it probably would go up and down the valley yeah. and, and use the cover, I would have thought. If I can find these pinch points, but also find an area where the cameras aren't going to get stolen, because, of course, that's always a risk with these cameras. You know, I do know a lot of the bailiffs and, and whatnot on the local waters. I shall be contacting them when I get the cameras and see if I can get permission to put them on their land. You were telling me that you know somebody near Myler Bridge who saw a mother and cub, is that right, a few years back? This really came after I, I did that post on Facebook. Now, it's actually his partner who first contacted me, who's had a sighting of her own over in the Myler area, and she initially told me about her sighting. And that was actually a light brownie colour, so it could possibly have been a, a mountain. She said it was huge, and they were in a car, driving on one of the roads out of the village uh, about 10 o'clock in the morning and it came right across the road in front of them clear as day they both saw it it was a quick sight across the road in front of them again he didn't really tell anyone with her partner's sort of experience he was ridiculed quite a bit um, from his earlier sighting i think she just kept stum about it that was kathy and her boyfriend is gareth he still lives in the village now. He's lived there pretty much his whole life, Myla. He used to live with his dad. They actually were out in the back garden and looking out across the fields. And both him and his dad saw three cubs. They didn't realise what they were at first. They weren't quite sure. They were little black things in this field. And, you know, they, it was, what are those? You know, sort of questioning. They, they didn't quite fit anything that they were aware of. The mother sort of came out of the hedge. And that's only then they realised what they were. They went on to see them two or three times in that area over a short period of time. Never really mentioned it to anyone other than some of his friends. And they really, really took the mickey out of him. And, you know, he's quite a sensitive lad, I think, um, in his youth. So he, he took it really to heart. And, you know, I don't think he's really spoken about it too much. So it was really kind of him to share it with me. And that was before the days of mobile phones, and although it would have been a long way away, presumably. You're talking 20 years ago. His dad was a bit of a salt-of-the-earth sort of chap anyway, so you know he wouldn't have been bothered with the fuss. All these sightings have come, a lot of them have come through this Facebook post I did. One is, again, through the Facebook, a friend of mine. He sort of asked around after my sighting. He's a tree surgeon, does work all over the county. So I asked him to have a quiet word with anyone if he could. And a couple of weeks after, he got back to me with a story from this gamekeeper. He also used to do pest control for farmers um, and shoot foxes. Now, there'd been a spate of lambs being taken, newborn lambs being taken. This is just up the valley from where I am here. You're talking about a mile up the valley. 
so this chap was called in to try and find what they thought was probably a fox taking his lamb. Yeah. So they, they've gone up to this area. There's a small quarry up there, and it's surrounded by fields where the sheep are. They'd gone up, one chap with a set of dogs, and they'd sort of looked at the lay of the land. They thought, well, it's probably going to be laid up in this area. We send the dogs through to flush it out, and he'd wait at the top where they thought they'd flush it out to and maybe get a clean shot at it. So they sent the dogs in through, and what did they flush out? A big black cat, and he saw it clear as day. As it came out, it jumped up onto a rock, probably on the edge of the quarry, and it was gone. He got quite a clear sight of it. Couldn't believe his eyes. This chap, again, he's salt the earth. He wouldn't have had a camera or anything with him. He's not, he don't even think he's got a mobile phone, my friend said. Because mm-hmm. I did ask him. I thought that's a fantastic sighting. It would be great to come on the podcast, but he said there's no way. And I have asked quite a few of these people if they would be interested, but... Of course, not everyone wants to come on and tell their story, do they? Yeah, it's just not everybody's cup of tea, and that's quite understandable. It's nice that you can sweep them up and relay them. I think people will be very grateful to you, Andy, for doing that. That is a super sighting, because people don't think that happens. I have a lot of people say to me, people who are a bit sceptical or completely sceptical, they say, oh, well, hunts would flush them out. And I say, well, how do you know that that doesn't happen? <laughs> Have you got perfect uh, <laughs> knowledge of all the hunts and people who do pest control around the country? And you, you do hear that that happens, and that, that's an example. Do we know if the dogs were aware of it? Well, when they caught scent of it, apparently they just turned tail and they would not go any further. They literally went in the opposite direction. What colour? Again, black. This area seems to be very attractive to them for whatever reason. They are meeting at the a barrier, aren't they? They That river's big and there's lots of creeks. I suppose they've got to work themselves around the creeks. So you've got them hemmed in on one side, if you like. So there's going to be a chance for more sightings, I think. If you go to the other side of Carrot Rose and you've got the river Fowl there, I mean, the woodland that skirts up that is ancient. You know, it's not changed for thousands of years and it's not riddled with footpaths or anything. It's full of deer. Yeah. I mean, they could live there for years and never, probably never see a human. Yeah, you've changed my perception of on holiday. I do like the Roseland Peninsula very much. I shouldn't be giving it away oh, on this beautiful. podcast. It's one, of my, it's one of the most tranquil, splendid little hideaways in Cornwall. Please, yeah. podcasters, does nobody else go there <laughs> after this? It's, it's almost like being abroad, isn't it? Oh, yeah. And the, the walks up the creeks. And I've never thought about big cats. I thought, well, I don't know this area. I'm assuming there are no big cats here. I'm going to switch off. But I, th- I thought, actually, it would be very good for big cats. With, with They're undisturbed. There's plenty of deer signs. And the woodlands up creek sides, would, they would love it. So nearly finished your countdown of sightings. So... um this is a chap I used to work with um, as a butcher. He was actually um, my manager for a while, for his whole life. He's been very involved with shooting and, and, and is a deer stalker himself. Now, um, he's retired now. He sort of mentioned to me that he'd had a sighting in his life you know, when I worked with him, but he didn't seem too keen to sort of share at the time. But I gave him a call after my um, most recent sighting and had a, had a bit of a chat with him. He said he's actually had two encounters in his life. Okay. Now, one was way back, and I, I think this is actually quite important in the big picture yeah. because it was when he was 16 years old. Being almost 70 now, that would predate the 1976 Dangerous Wild Animals Act. So it goes to show that they were here, you know, wild or escapees before. Of course, there has been people say maybe in Victorian times they had um, yeah. menageries and, and whatnot. And I keep saying on the podcast that I think uh, it's almost inevitable that uh, if you had them in captivity in wartime, you probably would have had to release them because your meat supply would have been so restricted. Yeah. They need, you know, plenty of meat to consume. So wartime could have been a release episode. And I've had them, and I know other people have had reports, credible reports, not many, but some before 76. So it's not all down to 76 legislation, I'm sure. So what did he see then at this time? Basically, it was um, near St. Day, which is more over the Scoria way, more over towards um, sort of the Red Roof area, so more central, Okay, really, in Cornwall. Mm-hmm. He got permission to shoot in this field. It was a 10-acre field. It was split by um, a, a five- or six-foot fence right down the middle. Now, he'd set up some uh, decoys for pigeons on the fence, 
and he'd sort of gone back up to the, the field, up to the hedge, and he sat in the hedge with his gun, hoping to get some pigeons for tea. And as the evening's drawing in, this cat just walks bold as brass right along the fence line. You know, he sat there not believing his eyes, and he said it, it literally jumped the fence like it wasn't there and just sort of went out of sight down into the, the bottom half of the field. And he, he described it as black. He said it had the long tail. Um, he said it was very big, like a large dog. Another thing about Cornwall is we've got uh, quite a rich mining heritage down here, especially around that Red Roof Camborne area um, and Escoria and St. Day area. Big areas which were used for mining, they, they can't really be used for anything else. You know, some are sort of polluted with arsenic, which was a byproduct of the um, the tin industry, apparently. And there's big areas, you know, not a lot really grows and honeycombed with with mining tunnels that can't be built on. There's plenty of areas around there. If you want an existence as a troglodyte, that's the place. You'll be, you can be un- literally under <laughs> underground yeah. or semi-underground or at little entrances. But people aren't going to see you and not many people are going to venture there anyway. When you look at it, you can imagine a big cat there. Good for him for relaying that. And he, he had another sighting as well. He said it was um, only about 10 years ago and he was driving back from the shop. He'd closed the shop down, the butchers. It was dark, so it would have been um, in the winter and he... But he, he was just going down one of the country roads, an animal came right out in front of him. And he said it was clear, again, it was really clear because he actually just stopped. He broke quite suddenly, stopped, and it came out of the hedge in front of him and then jumped into the hedge the other side. And interestingly, it wasn't black. It was another brown one. Okay. And again, he said there was no doubting what he's seen, you know. And again, he he's, he's not one... Again, for fanciful stories or, you know, he doesn't lend himself to that. You know, these are country folk, you know, they've got no time for that. Yeah, sure. Matter of fact, people. Just one last one now. And um, this is a a chap I know through work. He's actually one of our delivery drivers um, who picks up um, our products from work and takes them away. He's called Steve. Uh, He'd seen one up on Bobbin Moor, just south of Brown Willie. You know, so the, the largest hill in Cornwall. Yeah. He's looking out over some fields, um, it's fields for the sheep, and um, he just saw the cat walk right through the middle of the sheep, and the sheep didn't react hardly at all. Um, they just pretty much ignored it, which is, um, you know, I thought was quite strange. But um, it does happen if they, I mean, it happens in their native countries as well. If they're, if they're not presenting sort of stalking vibes, the animals pick it up, and sometimes they lift their tails, don't they? I don't know if he saw that, but... Yeah, I've, I've heard that with lions. Apparently, that's what they do with their tail. They lift it up to make themselves visible, to say, look, we're not hunting. Yeah, yeah. Everybody can relax, and we, none of us need to expend any energy fretting. Yeah, nature's got its interesting protocols, isn't it, and behaviours, and the animals pick it up. So I think that's probably what was happening in that one. What colour was that one that he saw? That was black as well, yeah. He's up on the moors a lot. He does an awful lot of walking and mountain biking. Um he did say, you know, a relative of his has also had a sighting up on the A30, actually actually crossing the A30. That is the main route in and out of Cornwall. So, I mean, that's a hell of a busy road. So it goes to show they will they will do it. Yeah. Yeah. I remember at um, one of the rural shows I did, a guy was a um, resident of Cornwall and he said, oh, I'd love to have seen one fascinated by the subject and i so many times drove along the a30 in cornwall around the bob menmore area hoping that i might catch a glimpse of one and five minutes after he'd gone another chap walked in and said oh yeah i saw one on from the a30 on bob menmore once driving through cornwall and so i just i said <laughs> hang on a minute and i absolutely sprinted around the show amongst people to try and find the other guy left to introduce them and it was literally five minutes apart and uh, i didn't find that guy he walked off and into the crowd somewhere so (laughs) that was frustrating but yeah there you go this is the contrasting thing with these cats though isn't it they can be so secretive like ghosts and yet at other times they're bold as brass and seen blatantly and people who see them like that they can't believe that they're not seen more often they're absolutely fantastic We've certainly had good value from you, Andy. I thought we were going to get several extras beyond your own sightings. And doesn't that show you how you've talked around a bit and used Facebook and networked? And 
because you've had those sightings, you're confident and interested in it. So people are prepared to open up to you and you've got several more that you'd have never learned about otherwise. The people that know me know that I'm I'm quite a talkative chap and I'm friendly and, you know, I'm quite easygoing. So, um, you know, that people will open up to me. And if not, I'll talk them to death until they do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good. well, you know, take over an episode of this podcast if you want. <laughs> you were saying um, earlier on it changes your attitude and your approach to using the countryside and going fishing and walking or whatever. Can you sort of explain that a bit more? Having those close encounters like I had, especially that second one, when I heard it bulldozing through that undergrowth, and you, you really get a sense of the power and the size of them, you know, I mean, that, that was quite thick undergrowth and it, it went through it like, you know, it wasn't there, but you definitely heard it. It was probably more frightening than I was looking back at it. Mm. I mean, I, I have come through those woods at night a few times. So I, I have, I spooked a deer in there one night and it absolutely scared the life out of me because now I'm expecting to see one, even though I probably never will again, you know, there's people who've been searching, they haven't actually seen one. So I do feel quite privileged, but if I'm going to see another one, hopefully at distance again, or maybe the other side of a road or something, when it's a bit of a barrier. And are you okay about them? Your attitude-wise, are you okay? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it gave me a bit of a fright. I respect them. If you do happen to have a close encounter, I think perhaps try and keep your distance, back off slowly, give them some room, I think would probably be what I would do. But I think we need them. Yeah, there's so many deer in this country. I don't think people perhaps realise the negative impacts that deer can have on the environment, on farming land, and also um, with ticks, you know, because the ticks that they carry, carry um, disease as well. I I know in America, they've got certain areas of America where um, like Lyme's, I think it's Lyme's disease, isn't it? Yes. And they've got epidemic proportions of that in certain parts of America where the deer population's exploded. Yeah, and it's difficult to diagnose as well as it. Some people may have it and feel very lethargic at times, and but it's not diagnosed. They're not actually sure what they've got. And yeah, it could be more prevalent than we think. That's a very good point about uh, deer being a vector for disease, yeah, and, and ticks, I mean, yeah. I think they're doing us a good service if they are keeping those deer numbers down, you know, especially with the restrictions we've we've rightfully got on guns, you know. You know, they definitely do need controlling to a degree. I mean, I love seeing them as much as anyone. You know, I absolutely love watching them from my binoculars, but we need a predator. We haven't got, or well, we didn't think we had a proper apex predator. You know, it's also keeping other animals like foxes. I mean, we all love seeing them, but they can be pests at times. And, you know, for something to keep them, keep the numbers in check in a natural way, weeding out the weak and the old and the sick, it's the best way for nature to manage, is to manage itself, really, if, if it can do. Do you um, gauge other people's attitudes amongst people you mix with? Everyone I've spoken to just thinks they're amazing creatures. They've certainly not given me any um, sort of negative attitude towards them. You know, I think in, until we see a negative impact of some sort, I think that will kind of be the main attitude that most people will have. There's not posters up of missing cats and missing dogs around uh, Penryn area. Funny enough, I've seen one in the last week. But of course, you know, there's lots of busy roads around here. and Yeah, lots of reasons why the people can have missing cats and dogs, of course. It's not all down to the yeah. cats. There's been a spate of um, dog thefts around here recently. People actually come, they come down from upcountry because obviously we're a little bit more laid back down here in Cornwall and people probably aren't quite so vigilant keeping their, their dogs secure so um it can be easy pickings for these people sadly yeah what are they trying to do ransom them back to people or just taking them what they use them for i don't know i mean i've heard perhaps uh fights dog fighting and stuff like that and some people just sell them on don't they yeah yeah horrible you know ghastly yeah ghastly people but um anyway i'm gonna be doing a lot more research into this hopefully be meeting up with um, a tracker which we've discussed place some cameras in some likely looking areas and fingers crossed i know it's very unlikely they seem to have an uncanny ability to avoid cameras you've got to try haven't you and and we're talking about yeah. um, Rhoda and jay who are in mid cornwall not far from you and who were on the previous episode the night patrol one who are and they are astonishingly good trackers 
had the benefit of um, having a few days with them and I no doubt do some more with them. It's good that they've got you as part of their network and um, help each other. That'll be really good. So, well, keep us posted and good luck, Andy. And Yeah, shout it. I'm very much looking forward to it. And that will complement your sort of outdoors and fishing interests anyway, won't it, presumably? Very much so. And I can't help but learn off of off of those two, you know, with their, their, all their experience. And hopefully, you know, I'll, I'll continue my research, and especially with the Angling Club up at St. Austell, way if i can talk to some of the members up there and i mean there's some long-standing members that have um, fished those waters for years and years decades Mm. i suspect there may be a few stories to come out up that way well it's just been lovely hearing about your part of the world i mean a lot of people know how nice uh, falmouth area is and can you pass on our thanks to the other people who've relayed their sightings to you for you to convey to us? Uh, if some of them get to listen to the podcast, that's lovely, but you know, do thank them for us because you learn from every example. And so it's been good to have all those different ones from you. Yeah, I certainly shall. Andy, thanks ever so much for coming on Big Cat Conversations. It's been wonderful to hear about your endeavours in Cornwall. Lovely. Thank you, Rick. We now have a bonus guest and we move from Mid-South Cornwall to North Cornwall because we have a recent photo to discuss. It was snapped by a trail camera in March this year, 2021, and because we're preparing a Cornwall edition, Mark, our guest, agreed to come on at short notice. Mark, thanks for coming on the show. No problem. I'll briefly set the scene and then we can talk through the events and your reaction because we're going to talk about, I think it's a burst of three photos on a trail camera on a field edge in North Cornwall on your family land and it's definitely snapped a cat and I think there's been some debate about the scale of that cat. We'll talk about that in a minute. So Mark, before you set the camera up, did you have a view that you might snap a big cat and why did you set the camera up? Being from North Cornwall is always sort of talk of the beast of Bob Moore and all sorts. Yeah, my wife had been lucky enough to spot a cat a few years ago, and then her brother also saw a cat on another piece of land that they own, and that was a sandy-coloured cat that he saw. And you don't really have to go too far around here to sort of hear of someone who's spotted a cat or someone who's got a tail. Sam saw a black one, did she, a few years ago? Yeah, yeah, sort of about a mile or two down the road in the near village, sort of crossed in front of her late at night. Yeah, she was pretty adamant there was a a big black cat. That led to your idea to put a trail camera up on the family land, did it? I sort of moved when I married Samantha. I moved out to the countryside and it sort of fascinated me how wild it really was out here. I put the trail cam out for all sorts of wildlife, secretly hoping, you know, that I would get something like that. I never really truly believed I would until I saw what I'd captured, really. How long did you have it out, Mark, before you got this cat on it? I got it last June, and I'd been playing around with a few different spots. And then I found this truly wild area of land where I put it. And it had been down there for about five nights. And um, I decided to get it in and have a look. And I saw flicking through deer after deer, badger, badger. And then all of a sudden, there it was, sort of three, like you say, a three-shot burst of couldn't describe it at first i was really excited and sort of couldn't wait for sam to get home to show somebody else i was home alone at the time when i showed sam you know she sort of was in shock and awe as well and then she wanted to get another opinion because we both knew what it was but we wanted someone to tell us but yeah we couldn't believe it really it's annoying that it's walking away from the camera that's you know 50 50 chance isn't it i was quite confused at the angle you know when i go to pick him up i'm careful not to try and get in the shot it's quite hard to avoid the range. It must have really come at an angle. Yeah, it's walking along the field edge. Where I've put it purposely, there, there's three really large badger sets. I think it had gone out around the holes because it couldn't hug the fence line because obviously the holes are there. So I think it had gone out around and then came back in and that's when it's triggered the beam and it's done the burst. Yeah. We'll talk about the overlays we've done in a minute, which really helps, of course. But what scale did you guys think it was? Well, when I first saw it, I thought it was big. And then I sort of calmed down a little bit and thought, well, maybe it's not as huge as I was making out. We have our own domestic cats here. I sort of 
was flicking back through the pictures and I saw the pictures of the deer and I thought, well, yeah, it is this big. It's not your average tomcat strolling through. strolling through. And I knew that it would be very strange for a cat, a domestic, to be there because it's a very long way from any houses, any roads. It's proper wilderness, you know, and I would have been very surprised to see a domestic there. So I, I sort of knew that it was big. And you guys put it on Facebook, didn't you, to get some reactions? And tell us about what happened. A mixed bag, you know. First off, it had the naysayers saying they could see a collar on it and they could see the tabby stripes on it. There's no leaves on the trees, so it was a fake picture. And then you had the other end of the spectrum, people saying, this is brilliant, this is amazing footage, you know, this really does prove their existence. And we had lots of people trying to uh, find out where it was and to come and look and all sorts. The good comments were good, and obviously there were some people that were just literally trying to naysay it being anything other than, you know, somebody said it was a black fox. Others were saying it's a domestic, it's tiny. I think the other thing that happens is, I suspect a lot of people like me are a little bit cautious and thinking, gosh, that could be interesting, but, you know, we mustn't be too jumpy and too excited. We really have got to prove it. Yeah, there was there was the sensible, you know, we had every end of the spectrum, the people that wanted it to be it straight away. And then, like you say, the people that were like, you should get a second opinion. I was wrong in a way, because I said to Sam, this looks to me like a slightly bigger than usual feral. I said, just in case, let's have a look of any other photos on the trail camera, because we could probably superimpose one on the other to get the scale. And luckily, the yeah. roe deer are around the same area. And one of those adult roe deer, its feet are planted virtually identically to the cat. So the scale overlay on that one is really as precise as you'll get. Yeah. So the back hind quarters of the cat comes up to just below that roe deer's tail flap, that white tail flap, which... Yeah. makes it around about two feet. Yeah, which is bigger than your average Tom. Yeah, absolutely. My black Labrador, he's quite a tall one, and his hindquarters are exactly two feet. So that cat is around the size of my black Labrador. Yeah, which is a, is a good-sized cat. Absolutely, and it probably means it can kill a deer. But it didn't look like the classic black panther, black leopard type cat. It doesn't have that long sweeping tail. It's not as sleek slimline and athletic looking as the black leopard black panther ones right it's true that's why we was a little bit confused and why we wanted sort of a, an expert opinion on it i think it's very helpful because there is a view that there is another type of large cat my working assumption is that i call it the mutant moggy the mutant mog some kind of domestic Felis catus cat that maybe is hybridized with some other exotic cat like a jungle cat or something and there's it's yeah. got to this giganticism so that it can kill a deer and it may be they're breeding on and there's a type cat or you get the occasional odd one like that in 2012 i was copied into a privately done dna test from sussex with a huge bit of scat a huge dropping which would have been sort of labrador dog size dropping and it did look like a wild yeah. cat a wild carnivore's dropping and the result was from the lab felis catus which is domestic cat but they weren't saying it's a domestic cat size dropping they were saying that's the species results you know make of it what you will but we're not disputing the scale of, of the scat the dropping we started calling it the mutant mog this could be a photo of the same kind of cat that would do a dropping that size yeah, I mean, we have been keeping an eye out for that sort of thing now that we've been alerted to the area that it might be in. We've had the same camera out non-stop since we got the picture in various spots around where we took the first picture. I would be tempted to keep that one where it is because it's done the job and it might come back there, but put another one nearby, wherever you think is a good place, where the deer go, where there's a pinch point that everything has to be funneled through. It's a truly wild area down there, and it's got everything. There's a river, lake, steep valley, lots of prey, so hopefully. What would be hilarious is if you get a totally different big cat on it next time, one of the mountain lions or something. That was seen a little way between. It's still, you know, our land, but my wife would like to put a camera up there as well. It's just exciting to see what you get on the cameras anyway, isn't it? As you say, the wildlife on them is, is fun to see. That's what it was for, and you know, there's three really large badger sets there, and I wanted to see how many were in there, and sort of the fox population, and 
you know, I've had an otter on there and oh, great, and uh, lots of other things. And that was what it was for. With, but in the back of my mind, I'd always hoped to prove it because it's sort of, you know, it's quite magic to think that these cats are roaming around unseen. Yeah, well, the other thing is, is that had you not had roe deer on the camera or any other sort of key wildlife to be able to do a good overlay, we wouldn't really know. We'd be making our guesses and our best assumptions, wouldn't we, about the scale? And the fact the feet are level with the cat, we've got a precise overlay, which really does help. So that cemented the case, I think. We knew from the start that it wasn't your average cat because we had two. And funnily enough, one of our cats will often, if we go off on a family walk, it will follow us. I know how small she looks when we're waiting for her and when we're watching her in the grass. I knew that it was bigger than that. You know, we didn't want to say it was a huge black cat because, like you say, we needed some proof. I think the picture definitely just does that. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I'm picking up that your attitude is one of excitement and fascination about the cat's intolerance, not worry or foreboding or nervousness. You think it's a good thing, do you? Yeah, I'd love nothing more than for there to be a population as great as the UK wildlife is. It would fascinate me if we had a large predator. And you're not seeing any problems. There's at least this one around. You've had witness reports in the family of others and you're not picking up locally that they're causing any problems. No, I don't think so. You know, the odd lamb may go missing. Who's to say that's not fox? Down in that valley, the abundance of food would be just, I don't think it would need to cause problems by taking livestock. It could live, you know, completely undisturbed down there and it's got everything it would need food-wise, shelter-wise. I don't see it foresee it being a problem at all. I think the other intriguing thing about this mutant mog, or this one that's not a big black leopard anyway, is that it's potentially a British cat. Now, some people would say, oh, well, the black leopard, of course, is a derivative from an Asian cat, the Asian leopard. Yeah. Whereas, of course, the one you guys have snapped doesn't look like a black leopard at all. And if it's the mutant mog version of of the British big cat, then it is truly British, it seems, which makes it even more interesting, doesn't it? Yeah, which would be fantastic. You can't say it's non-native, although a lot of people say, well, even if the black leopards are non-native, they're naturalising well here and adapting and showing that they don't cause issues. But um, I think this is the other fascination about the subject and why we need to research it more, is that here we have a large alpha predator that we don't really know much about. That, to me, is quite magic in itself, that it could be here and we know nothing about it. And it's trail cameras and DNA tests and that sort of thing which are going to help us. And great that you know landowners like you are on the case, you know, sharing the learning with us. I think the other thing is with the cameras is, you're probably sure you're doing this, is not to go and interfere with them and disturb them too often. You've got to get your intervals just right, haven't you? You've got to check the cameras, obviously. But I think that was the mistake. When, when we first got it, I couldn't leave it alone. <laughs> you know, it'd be out one night and I'd want to go and get it. Whereas now we're quite happy to leave it four or five nights, maybe longer. You know, at first I couldn't really get anything on them and now ticked off all the animals I wanted to see and bonus of this cat. So you can see the track that this animal takes is well worn, whether the deer wear it in or whether it is this cat to and fro in. But just directly behind that fence is the river. So one side of it is a big man-made lake that's been let go to nature. People say they've seen mink down there and all sorts. I haven't personally seen any yet, but we've had the otter and had some weasels. And Sounds like you've got the same experience a lot of us have, is that when they first go out, a lot of the animals are a bit wary because they can smell them and they hear the little click it makes when it takes a picture. And But eventually they get used to it and realise it's not a threat and they just treat it as part of the scene and bumble past yeah. it and snap. Yeah, so I think that's definitely starting to happen now. Both me and my wife are quite excited by it, really, and we really hope to see it again now. Not to get closure on it, but to back up what we've seen and maybe get a better angle would be nice, or a bit closer. Or Yeah, you may be lucky. I mean, I think a lot's going to depend on the size of its territory and whether it's got a nearby layup spot and that sort of thing. Well, we think maybe where it could be laying up, there's like a sort of a really rocky outcrop that's almost cave-like. 
Okay. Which is sort of two fields over and it's so overgrown that, you know, the, the, we see the deer fly through there when if you disturb them when you're on a dog walk, they'll bolt straight for that thicket. Yeah. When we sort of climbed in and investigated, it, it is all sort of cave-like and overgrown. And we did find a load of bones in there of a year ago. We all joked and said it could be where a big cat hides, but we weren't we weren't being serious. But It's called your bluff. Yeah, it really does look like that's sort of where something could hide, definitely, because it's got a really good overview of all the land from there. It can see you coming from miles away. Well, if you get anything again, we can have you back on to discuss that as well, hopefully. Yeah, yeah, well, uh, hopefully we do then, yeah. So I'd really like to get another uh, picture or a video. Yeah, well, good luck. Sure, we're all rooting for you. Brilliant. Thanks ever so much for coming on Big Cat Conversations, Mark, and let's hope we can speak again. Yeah, I hope so. Thanks for having me. Cheers. All the best, Mark. Thank you to Mark and Samantha for permission to put the photo burst we've just discussed on the Big Cat Conversations website. You should find that one with the scaled overlay against the Rodea under episode 49 of the Refs and Links page. Meanwhile, in mid-Cornwall, there have been four recent credible reports that I've heard of via Rhoda and Jay just in the two weeks running up to this episode, and those include Black Panther, Sandy Brown Puma-like and Lynx-type cats, including a Puma crossing the A39 today, 23rd of April 2021, and also on the website, under episode 49, is a possible photo of a lynx allegedly taken in mid-Cornwall in recent days. OK, in a couple of editions' time, we will focus on North Wales, but episode 50 is next. It's a bit different, as we have an extended interview with Gareth Patterson. He is based in South Africa. He took on the lion custodian role from Joy and George Adamson of Born Free fame, and he's still involved in some pioneering work in South Africa now. During his interview for Big Cat Conversations, we discuss leopard behaviour, in case there might be lessons here in Britain. If you want to check Gareth's website and books in advance, you can find his material on the web at garethpatterson.com. OK, time to sign off now, so many thanks again to our guests Andy and Mark. As we play out, you are listening to the new track Big Cat Mystery, by special permission from the Lancashire-based folk band Drive. The song came about from Drive's enthusiasm for the subject on seeing the trailer for the coming documentary Britain's Big Cat Mystery, so it's splendid to have more music emerging on this topic. We're all looking forward to the release of Britain's Big Cat Mystery, crafted by Matt Everett and Tim Whittard. We'll bring you details when they're available. OK, hopefully see you back for episode 50. Take care and bye for now. I'm a night patrol Coming over the rise And she looks at me With a big green eyes And she spins me a tail At the river bank In the park and the way Don't lose her track Stay loose Stay close Well, she watched this town, this village green With a cat suit on, looking nice and clean And she's on the prowl, that she's making the teens On a cobble road
And if you wanna find her, look by the bow on the fields or over that hill. And if you want the thrill, look for her and run. She's no virgin to the kill. Big Cat Mystery